yesterday with James 1.12. I'm going to pick up on James 1.13 through 15, but I'm going to make a sandwich between James 12 and James 16. So I'm going to read it from the uh, uh, New American Standard, the 1977 version. And, and list this, we're going to dig into some words in here that I think will help us understand a little bit more about trials and, and temptations. Verse 12, and I'm going to read it from, pardon me, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Classic. Uh, blessed, happy to be envied, is the man who is patient under trial and stands up under temptation. For when he has stood the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which God has prepared and promised to those who love him. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted from God, for God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. But every person is tempted when he's drawn away, enticed and baited by his own evil desire, his lust and passions. Then the evil desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully matured, brings forth death. Now, verse 16. Do not be misled, my brethren. Do not be misled, my brethren. Now, we want to talk about verses 13, 14, and 15. And we want to talk about tempted, being tempted. What is that? Uh, uh, what does the Scripture say about that? Well, I want to dig into a couple of, of, of words in here, and then we'll look at some different scriptures and, and kind of take a different tack on this. Um, the first word I want to look at is actually in verse 12, uh, happy is the man who is patient under trial and stands up to temptation. So, temptation. So a guy that stands up to temptation, what does the word temptation mean? One of the problems that we run into whenever we're, we're, we're teaching the Scriptures or, or virtually anything else is terminology. We need to make sure we're, we're on the same page with the words because one word might mean something to you, and I hear it, it means something completely different. So uh, we want to dig in and look and see what are the, the words here. The word temptation is the Greek word uh, 
periosmos. That's how I pronounce it. Periosmos. Uh, and listen to this word. It's got some very unique characteristics. Uh, it means to make trial, try, tempt, trial, a temptation, putting to the test, in speaking of persons only. Now listen to this. When God is the agent, periosmos is for the purpose of proving someone, never for the purpose of causing him to fall. If it is the devil who tempts, then it's for the purpose of causing one to fall. So, just because we've got the word temptation doesn't necessarily mean we know what it means. We need to understand in what context are we actually using it. So, uh, we hear that the, the Lord doesn't cause us to tempt. He's not trying to, to tempt us to fail. He's trying to, to prove us an assay like like we're, we're testing good metals. Now, the second word I want to talk about is it says, For when he has stood the test, he has been approved. What does proved mean? Uh, that's the Greek word dokimos, and it means tried as metals by fire and thus purified. Hence, to be approved as acceptable men in the furnace and fire of adversity. So, uh, what does it, what's the fire of adversity? What does that look like? I think we've all had issues and, and, and tests and trials in our lives. And, uh, but this is, a, this is an interesting, the furnace of adversity, the fires of adversity. I think when you're thinking scripturally, the first thing you begin to think of is um, Daniel. Uh, the book of Daniel, the three guys in the in the fire pit, you might say. Um, the definitely was a fire of testing, but there's many others. I'm, I'm looking right now, um, politically speaking, in the United States, there's a lot of fires and testing. There's a lot of adversity. Um, uh, a lot of things that are, are very difficult right now. And it's our job to stand strong in the middle of this. And so we're going to look at a couple of other things. So when we're thinking about approved, we're talking about um, being approved as in the fires of adversity. Now, the third word. Let's go to verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted. A little different than temptation. Uh, this word is periazo, not periosmos. And it means to try to prove in either a good or bad sense to test by soliciting to sin. Well, we know that's not God. So, being tempted, uh, the enemy is trying to get us to fall flat on our face. The classic example is Jesus. You go to, to Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And um, uh, whenever I, th I think of, uh, of Luke 4... I think of verse 1 uh, that tells after, uh, after Jesus was baptized in the river, the Holy Spirit came down and the Father said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It says that he goes into, the, it said the Holy Spirit drove him or compelled him to go into the desert. And it says in Luke 4, 1 that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Thirteen verses later, he's gone through all of the stuff that the enemy's thrown at him. And verse 14 says, he's coming out of the desert full of the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Now, the interesting thing is, somewhere in that fiery furnace of the desert, um, the areas that were, the angels were ministering to him, all of the things that were going on in the desert, it says he was there with the wild animals. So what does that look like? Well, hyenas, wolves, I, you know, mountain lions, I, I, I'm not sure all of the animals that were in there, but they're not good. So as he comes through that, it says he was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things as we look at temptation, we can see that if we can get through it, we can be full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the things that we're searching for. How to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Lord knows the United States the church needs this now more than any time in our history. We need to be able to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go on to the to the next word. Um, baited. It says here in verse 14, But every person is tempted when he is drawn away, enticed, and baited by his own evil desires. Now, this is the, the, the amplified version. So, we track down the word baited. It's interesting. It says exilo. Exilo is how I pronounce that. It means to draw out away from, to draw out, drag out, as from the right way to the wrong way. In other words, to pull someone out. So, <coughs> pardon me. If I'm baiting someone, uh, what, what 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 does that mean? What we've seen situations where in um, uh, say a political debate, one guy will bait the other by saying certain things and trying to draw him out and to make a mistake. Um, I see uh, uh, if you watch Animal Kingdom and things like that, you see where they bait for uh, to to catch wolves and various animals, things like that. So the idea of a bait is to put something out that would entice you to go in the wrong direction. Now, as far as humans are concerned, we could think of a number of different things about that, and we'll talk about a few of them in a minute. But uh, as we go on, the next word and the last word I want to talk about uh, is in verse 16. It says, Do not be misled, my beloved brethren. Now, I want to, I want to ask you a question about being misled. What does it mean to be misled? What is... Um, uh, and, and what could we deal with that would be misleading? Um, well, let's talk a, a couple things. I, I think um, if we look at verse 20, Matthew 22, 29, I want to turn over to that real quick. Matthew 22. Let's see, that's still in the New Testament. Matthew 22, 29. I want you to look at this real quick. Here we go. Okay, now, um, Jesus is in a conversation with the Sadducees. They're trying to catch him, and they come up with this ridiculous thing. Well, Susie married John, and then John died, and Susie, blah, 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 blah. Whose husband will she be in heaven? Now, Jesus' response to this is really interesting. Verse 29, But Jesus answered them, 
you are mistaken or you're err or you're 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 misled not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God so Jesus was very clear the reason that they were misled they didn't understand the scriptures and they didn't understand the power of God now one thing we know from uh from the apostle Paul and um I'm going to grab this scripture in Romans real quick. Romans, I believe it's 15:19. Well, you listen to this, verse 18. Paul says this: "For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed." Now, listen to verse 19. For in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about, as far as Elysium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now he's talking about fully preaching the gospel of Christ in power and and signs and wonders. And if you look real quick at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words only, but in power. Now, that's one of the things that we're talking about right here. We don't want to be misled into thinking that we're that we're moving in the right direction without the word of God and without the power of God. Now, getting misled in those areas, what would it look like if we got misled and we're 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 being led into temptation, what would that look like? What would some of the things be? And um, um, I actually have a list right here, handy little list. Um, you're in error because you don't know the Word. You could be tempted in these areas because you don't know the Word. Um, you might want to redefine marriage. You might think redefining marriage between a man and a man, a woman and a woman, and and, and a man, a woman, and a woman. I don't know what the possible combinations are, but they're redefining it. That's being misled. Um, they, the, the church wouldn't worry about premarital sex. They wouldn't think anything about that. Um, they wouldn't appoint. They would appoint um, um, homosexual clergy. They would break what God's talking about in there. Uh, there'd be no focus on holiness. They'd be busy in do-gooding, um, a lot of religion. They would not hear any prophetic word. Now, being in an environment like that can lead you into temptation and enable you to be weakened so that you can't... First of all, you might not even recognize the temptation. But second of all, you're weak because you're not being surrounded by the Word of God. You're not being supported by people that understand what God's talking about. And that puts you in an environment where you may fail. Now, uh, when we think about temptations, we, can, we we've got several verses that we can dig into here. Who's the chief agent of temptation? It's not God. We know that in James. It's not God. So who would it be? Well, it's the enemy. It's Satan. We see that in Genesis three one. What happened in Genesis three one? Well, Satan's been watching Adam and Eve, and he unloads on Eve this this uh, cockamamie story about you, this tree, and you got to have that, and so forth. And she thinks that's a great idea, 
and it blows up in their face. Okay, they didn't know the power of God. They weren't they weren't operating there. Then you go to First Chronicles chapter twenty one. You find out Satan prompted David to number the 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 Israelites, um, and that didn't work out on his behalf. Matthew four three, and um, is an example of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Satan is behind that. Now, um, I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you to look at this. Verse 10, actually. But when you forgive anyone, I forgive also for indeed what I have forgiven. If I have forgiven anything I did for your sakes in the presence of Christ, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his schemes. Now, uh, operating in, in, in forgiveness, keeping, a, keeping the, the score sheet clean, you might say, as they would say in, in soccer, you have a clean sheet. Um, the, the primary thing that we're looking at here is making sure that you're not operating in an area of deceit where the enemy might be able to take advantage of you. If, you. if you're in that area, then you're subject to being tempted and falling flat on your face. Now, um, we can look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I am afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I am afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Um, it says the servant was crafty. Um, sounds like a, a left-handed pitcher to me. They always refer to a left-handed pitcher as being crafty. Um, being able to put one over on you. Now, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 3.5. Another excellent... Now, I'm going through these because... Whoops. 1 Thessalonians 3.5. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I sent out to find out about your faith for fear the tempter might have tempted you and our labor, <coughs> pardon me, would be in vain. So as you can see, it's a constant battle that Paul is fighting. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a constant battle that Paul is fighting in order to keep, make sure that people aren't falling into temptation, that they're keeping on the, on the, um, uh, the straight and narrow, so to speak. Now, um, as we go through here, what encouragements are there concerning temptation? And, and uh, uh, I'm also thinking of another thought that just came to me. If you turn to, to the Gospel of Mark and you look up Mark 4, <coughs> pardon me, Mark 4, Matthew 13, and Luke 8, you will see about the parable of the sower. The sower sows the word, and these are they when they hear the word, Satan comes immediately to steal the word which has been sown. So you have an enemy that's fighting you. He's doing two things. One, 
He's trying to get God's Word out of there. He's trying to solicit. He's trying to bait you. He's trying to draw you out away from where God is. And he'll do it. He's got certain weapons that he will use. And if we look at some of those weapons, you can see that Jesus outlines them in Mark 4. Uh, He says he'll use affliction, persecution, uh, the deceitfulness of riches, lust, which is pressure on your five physical senses, or or worry and anxiety. Those are the five weapons that he uses to the most effect. Now, if we look at how he's working, we we really start to have um, interaction with him in Genesis 3. The lure of the forbidden fruit, the forbidden part, that's easy to say, the lure of forbidden fruit. Um, he's trying to get Eve to to get something that he he wants her to think she doesn't have everything that she needs to have. So if I get this, I'll have everything I need. So I'm God said don't get it, but if you do get it, it'll make you a lot better person. So that's kind of the lure of forbidden fruit. That's pressure on your five physical senses. I want that fruit. I I want the pomegranate or the apple or the avocado or whatever it was that he ate. Um, then you've got an, an, the the other temptation is um, riches, money. Um, if you go to Genesis 13 and you look at 13, uh, I won't I won't turn there, but 13:10 through 13 is the story of Abraham and Lot, and uh, they're not getting along well. They've got a lot of, you know, they've got the Bar K Ranch over here and the Bar Lot Ranch over here, and they're not working well. So Abraham says, well, you, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And Lot looks out and sees the best land. looks fertile. It's really a nice-looking place. He says, I think I'll take that. And that just happened to be where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Um, uh the foundation for Las Vegas, you might say, if you were in the United States. So he sees that, and that's what he wants. And then it t- then Genesis goes on and tells you that Sodom and Gomorrah were extremely wicked. And so he made the choice to go to the wicked land. Okay, That was his choice, but it was the lure of fertile fields. He saw, hey, this is a good land, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there. Then you've, you've got... Silver and gold uh, at AI, the Joshua and the, the team at AI. They why did they they, they wanted silver and gold? They've they you know we can see that throughout the Old Testament. And if we look at the various ways that we can succumb to temptation, First Corinthians ten thirteen says that God always provides us a way to get out of the mess that we find ourselves in. The problem is, most of the time, I liked the mess that I was in, and I didn't necessarily want to get out. I didn't want, I didn't want to suffer the damages for being in the mess, but I liked the mess. I, I, I know you guys don't feel that way, but I liked the mess, and I managed to get myself into many of them. And uh, uh, so, one of the things we want to talk about is a temptation to give up what God's already shown you. Don't succumb to the temptation. And it's a, the classic thing, what God showed you in the light, don't deny it in the dark. Now, 
uh, my favorite example of that is Mark chapter 5 is with Jairus. Um, He comes to Jesus, and and we only have record of Jairus saying one thing. If you'll come lay your hands on my daughter, she will live. That's all he says. And from that point on, everything blows up in his face, really. Um, He's sitting there. Jesus says, sure, I'll go with you. So while he's waiting, this little woman comes up, and she starts pastoring Jesus about about her, her issue of blood and so forth and so on. And while that's going on, Jairus is sitting there, and he knows his daughter's dying. And I've got a picture. He's looking at his Apple Watch, and he's trying to make sure, you know, what's going on. And, and, and hurry up. Come on, she's dying. Jesus takes care of that. And then here comes the death messenger. It says to him, Your daughter has already died. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, at that point, the temptation is, do I give up on what God has already said, even though it looks impossible? Do I give up on it? Or do I hold on to what God said and plow through the problem? Do I, do I sit there and, and hold on? Well, J. Iris's response is classic. He doesn't say anything. J. Iris has already said what it is that he believed. And rather than being tempted because of the circumstances to give up what God's told him, he holds on to what God says. And, and I think one of the ways we can get out of temptations, even when we find ourselves in the middle of it, is to remember that God's Word's true whether we believe it or not. It's true when everything else looks around us like it's going to fall apart. How many times have we seen this in, 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 in uh, Jesus' life? And as I was telling uh, John and, and Emily before the... Uh, before we started to teach, um, a, a woman in Scotland, uh, as a prophetic uh, a minister, went to a church and uh, and and um, called out what was probably an outlandish um, uh, prophetic word, and yet God moved on that prophetic word and did an incredible miracle in that church. Now. We see that happening all the time, but the temptation, I don't want us to just think of temptation as far as, um, well, here's a pretty girl that goes by and I'm tempted to have sex with her. I'm tempted to, to, to have a new bass boat. I'm tempted to get a new... Those are all temptations. They certainly are. But the other, the, I think one of the more difficult temptations is when we have God's Word and God's Word says one thing and the circumstances... <coughs> and the elements, pardon me, <coughs> the circumstances and the elements that we're dealing with say something different from what God's Word. We're tempted to give up and go with the circumstances. And that's what we don't want to do that. That's one element that we don't want to do. And spending time with Rick Bonfim, knowing Rick for as many years as I have, uh, we could sit down and I, I would bet you for hours. I'm not talking an, an hour. I bet you Rick could sit down for hours and just exp- and tell you miracle after miracle after miracle that's happened over the last 50 years. Uh, just some things that I know in his ministry that's happened here. And the temptation is to give up when it doesn't look like it's going to work out the way God said that it would. So um, going back and looking at this... Um, 
a little bit different look at temptation at these at, at these God's not the one that's doing this to us. That's the other thing that, that that's the last point that we want to make here. When I was in trouble uh, as a young man with drugs and 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 all of the the stuff that I went through, people in church, uh, the church that that probably now has a lot of this teaching involved in. In fact, one of the pastors made this comment in in, in church said that, that God will make you sick and Satan will heal you just to confuse you. That's what the pastor taught in one of his sermons. So it took a long time for me to realize that God's not my problem. The enemy is the problem. It's not God trying to do this. If if um, He takes advantage of what I give him. Um, John's got a couple, uh, several young kids. If they go over and he tells them, don't stick your finger in the light socket. That's not going to be a good thing. And they, he, you know, he tells them and tells them, but at some point, Ellis or one of them goes like that, and they get knocked on their keister from the electricity in there. John's going to take advantage of that and teach them, but John's not going to go over and grab his arm and stick his finger in there to show him. He's just not going to do that. That's, if we do that today, it would be child abuse. And a lot of the things that God gets accused of would be child abuse today. He doesn't do them. He's not the He's not the destroyer. Uh, John ten ten says, uh, "The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy." That I've come that you have life. Uh, every good, perfect gift comes from the Father. So God's not the one. Now He will take advantage of it. John comes in and 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 his young boy is sitting there on the ground crying. And, and John sees him holding his hand, he's going to know what happened, and he'll take advantage of it. He'll help him and fix him, but I guarantee you he'll take advantage of him and show him why you don't do that. Here's why you don't do that. And uh, um, if Ellis is better than I am, he'll, he won't do it. Now, me, I probably stuck my hand and thought, well, the top one burned. Maybe the bottom one wouldn't burn. That, that's kind of the way I thought when I was a kid, but anyway. So I want to thank you. Please th- be thinking about that. Just some different thoughts about about um, uh, temptation. I don't want you to get ta- caught up in that God's the one doing it. He's not doing it. But let's don't get tempted to fall away from what God's told us to do in the light when things get dark. I'm going to pray for us right now. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your time in in, in spending with us, Father. I'm asking you that you would Open the Word to us. Help us to hear what you have to say and walk in your path today. And thank you for what you're doing in our country. In Jesus' name, amen. Look forward to seeing you soon. Eu quero ser um testemunho Remove o erro e crie o bem em mim Brilha a luz que é no meu viver.